A February 12, 2014 article by Billboard magazine named the song Endless Love by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross the greatest love song of all time. The greatest love song of all time. You say, well, how did it get named the greatest? It was in 1981, number one on the Hot 100, nine weeks in a row. It isn't because it's a complicated song. It's really funny if you read the lyrics, especially towards the end of the song. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, whoa, whoa. And love, oh. Not real complicated lyrics, amen? I think, I think they call that not poetry, they call that doggerel, uh, which is a type of poetry that seems to be a little less. But, um, but, but the song, it's, it's not real complicated. And, and it wasn't the movie that it was for because the movie was Endless Love with Brooke Shields and it was actually Tom Cruise's first role and, and another person's first role, respectively. And, and it wasn't that movie because, to be honest with you, the movie Endless Love was just mediocre in success. Most people don't remember the movie. You know? And, and so you think about it, it's not the movie. It's not, it's not that it was, uh, you know... The theme song to The Little Mermaid, you know, that just stuck in everybody's head, up where they walk. Uh, no, it wasn't that, right? You know, some of you parents that have kids that age started singing with me in your head. You know you did. <clears throat> but, um, but no, I mean, what, what makes it work? What is the appeal of this simplistic song? My love, there's only you in my life, the only thing that's bright. My first love, you're every breath that I take, you're every step I make, and, and I... I want to share with you all my love with you. Nothing, no one else will do. And these are, not, these are not complicated, deep lyrics. Very simplistic. Why does it connect? I'll tell you why it connects. Everybody in America can relate to the longings and the feelings expressed in it. This is what makes every love song that becomes popular, popular. Because we can relate to it. It's the story that I have. Or it's the story I wish I had. It's what I want. It's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that description. Many of you, when you were married, you had a certain song that was played at your wedding. A not Christian song. And by the way, love songs aren't bad. There's an entire book of the Bible that is a love song, and it is not about Jesus and the church. You need to go read it. That's about a man and a woman. 
Go read Song of Songs again. I'm not going to get into it right now, but that is not about Jesus and the church. It is not an allegory. If it is, I'm a little creeped out, Jesus. <laughs> and I know that's been a popular interpretation of the book of Song of, of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon because we think God can't be about hot, steamy romance. Why not? He created us with this need to be loved. Somebody, I don't remember where I heard it, but somebody was saying, maybe I heard it at the conference this weekend, I'm not sure, but somebody was saying that in the beginning, God created everything and he said it was good, except for one thing. He said it's not good, the man is alone. He said it's all good, but then he said it's not good that man is alone, so I'm going to make him a helper that's suitable, right? I mean, God created us this way. He's put this longing for not only relationship with Him, but relationship with a husband or a wife inside of us. And that's okay. That's why it connects with us. I mean, who in a moment of honesty is willing to say, yes, I want somebody to be abandoned into this love relationship with me like that? Amen? Can you be honest? Anybody? Okay, there's like five people that say, yeah, I want somebody to love me like that. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> and we'll, re- we'll confess and repent later, right? But you want, if you're a husband, you want your wife to look at you and think those things. Man, I love you. You're, you're the only one for me. I look in your eyes and I see this is something that's meant to be. You know, this is, we're together and we're connected eternally. We're one with one another until death do us part. That's what you want. Likewise, the other way around. We all have this. We all have this. This is why we go get married. This is why we seek out someone to spend our life with. It connects with us. These love songs connect with us because this is something that God put into each one of us. It's something that God put into each one of us. Amen? And I know you may be struggling with this concept, but but it's the truth. I can boldly proclaim to you it's the truth. Because Jesus says it. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is something the way God designed it. And it connects. This same ability to connect whether it's the song Endless Love, maybe you don't like Endless Love, maybe you're not a Lionel Richie fan, and maybe you think Diana Ross is a little overplayed, so, you know, maybe you're a little more, she thinks my tractor's sexy, you know, I don't know. It's kind of not really a, a love song in my opinion, but some of you think that it is, you know. You know, so such as, you know, teach their own. It's not the love song I have in mind, but, you know, you've got you know, a right to your weirdness. Just like, I have, just like I have a right to my weirdness. But this ability to connect is really what makes the simple message of the gospel so powerful in our lives as well. The author of Hebrews is very quick to point out in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 6, this connectedness and how things connect and how it speaks to our hearts. So I want you to turn in your Bibles there. We're going to be covering some of the ground we've already covered plus some new ground. 
And we're not going to be necessarily delving into a, a lot of technical stuff right this week. We're going to be looking at a, at a big concept here. Here's the concept. Starting in chapter 4, verse 16. For when, excuse me, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in chapter 3. Let me get in the right chapter. And it's verse 14, not 16. So verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, now check it out. Pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't miss this. Listen, don't miss it. Pay attention. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because, this was, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God called by God, just as Aaron was. I want to really emphasize something. Ready? So also. Everybody say that with me. So also. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, this concept of relating is something that you mean to be a blessing, but in many of our lives has perhaps become a curse. And I pray today that you begin to break that curse off of us. And that we would come to understand what it is that you're trying to say. And how you relate to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. There's a power of relating. There's a power of empathy. There's a song by a Christian rap artist named KJ52. He says this line in the song. He said, see, I can relate, dude, because I've been there too. The song is KJ52 writing a song to Eminem. Marshall Mathers. You know who Eminem is. If you don't, come out of the cave you live in. Right? Eminem is a very angry, hurt guy singing about stuff that is really not appropriate. Breaks my heart when I hear Christians singing his songs. And I'm not anti-rap. 
There's nothing wrong with rap. There's some of you who think there's something wrong with rap. No, there's not. If God had a problem with a particular beat, he'd have wrote that in Scripture. He has no problem calling out sin. It's the message, not the style. For those of you who are still struggling with some of that concepts, you love, some of you love Southern Gospel. Sounds a whole lot like country. Some of the raunchiest songs I've ever heard are country. It's the message, not the style. But he says, see, I can relate, dude, because I've been there too. This power of empathy is he's trying to witness to a guy. One guy has all this hardship in his life, has all this suffering, has all this pain, and he rejects God. Another guy has all this hardship, all this suffering, all this pain, and he turns to God. And he's saying, dude, I can relate. You don't have to reject God because of all of this stuff. I can relate. I've been there. We know intuitively that empathy is a good thing. Because God made it a good thing. God says this very clearly in verse 14, or excuse me, in chapter 4, verse 15, and chapter 5, verse 2. God says this, he says that a high priest who could not sympathize with us would be worthless. But Jesus can relate to us because he has been where we're at. He says that in verse, look at verse 15 of chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We don't have one who can't sympathize. We have one better. He can empathize. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, I feel sorry for Mark because of what he's going through. Empathy means I went through it too, dude. I can relate. I've been there. And we have a God who can empathize. We have a God who decided to become a man and dwell among us and deal with all of the garbage that we have to deal with. And he can get it. And and in verse, excuse me, in chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, listen to me. Some of you are saying that's talking about the Aaronic priesthood. What were the two words that I really emphasized and made you repeat? Say them. So also. So also. Christ is not a different priesthood. He's the perfection of the priesthood. Contrary to popular belief, God did not remove the need for a mediator between us and Him. He said there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Here is our high priest. He is a perfection, the perfection of the Aaronic priesthood. He can relate to us. It's like the song Endless Love. When this song, Endless Love, was written, they approached Lionel Richie. They said, guy, we need you to write a song. Just an instrumental. And then they changed their mind and said, no, we want you to put lyrics with it. And then they changed their mind again and they said, we want you to get somebody like Diana Ross to sing it with you. 
right? And so Lionel Richie writes this song out of his own yearning for a deep and lasting love, <clears throat> and it resonates. Jesus Christ resonates. The power of the gospel resonates. The message of the gospel resonates with people because Jesus gets it. Because Jesus was tempted and tried, suffered hunger and persecution, struggled with being tempted to not follow God's will. Some of you are like, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. It says it right there. He was tempted in every way and he struggled with it. The Garden of Gethsemane, he said he, he was sweating blood. By the way, this happens in real life. People sweat blood. This isn't just some fictional thing that happened in the scriptures. This is, happens in real life. They have a way to explain this. It happens in people in such agony. He sweats blood. He said this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. If it be your will. Let me, let me translate it into modern English for you. God, Father, I, I don't want to do this. My soul is overcome with grief. Take this away. But you know what? Your plan's better than mine. And that I would come up with. And, and Jesus is God, but being fully man, he surrendered himself to the will of the Father. Your plan's better. I'll do it your way. I mean, the temptation that Satan gave him in the wilderness were three temptations for shortcut. That's what they were. They were three temptations for shortcut. You're hungry. You don't want to wait out the fast. You're God. Command those stones to become bread. And eat. Take a shortcut. You, you, you don't, you want to take a shortcut? Throw yourself off the top of the temple. That'll show your God. Take the shortcut. Oh, you don't like that? Here's another shortcut. If you'll bow down and worship me, if you'll say, I win and you lose, I'll give you all these people. The God of this world right now is Satan. He has influence. He has, we as humans gave him dominion. We gave away our authority. In the beginning, he made man an authority. We gave that away. Satan said he, he offered a legitimate thing to Jesus. I'll quit fighting you if you just admit that I win. He offered him three shortcuts. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do it. Right? So, but Jesus was, was, was handling this stuff. So we can have hope, friends, knowing that Jesus, who gets it, is mediating our covenant with God. We have a God who gets it, who empathizes with us, who understands. He was tested and tried. He suffered. He gets it. Somebody say, Jesus gets it. Like you mean it. Jesus gets it. He gets your sickness. Can I get a glory wave for those of you who might be sick? I mean, come on. He gets it. Right? He gets your pain. 
Amen? Does he get it? I mean, I know that, because, but a lot of times, he doesn't get it. Yeah, he gets it. He does get it. Some of you, again, would say, you know, Pastor, this is an Old Testament pattern for the high priest. But friends, it's continued in the New Testament with Jesus fulfilling the role. I told you there's not that much different about the Old Testament and the New Testament. This garbage about they're so drastically different is exactly that, garbage. There are some differences, but they're pretty minor. Take Jesus' words for it. He said this, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Okay, like one person got that. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But if he fulfilled it and it's now abolished, then he abolished it, which is exactly the opposite of what he said. No, he didn't do that. The law is serving the same purpose in the New Testament as it is the Old Testament. To show us our desperate need of a Savior. It's not to make us righteous. It never was to make us righteous. It never was to make us righteous. Ever. The book of Romans tells us no one has ever been saved by keeping the law. No one. All of the Old Testament saints... We're saved with God looking forward to the finished work of Christ at Calvary. And all the New Testament saints are saved with God looking back at the cross at Calvary. Jesus is the central message of the Bible. But mediating, you say, well, what is mediating? Mediating is intervening between people in a dispute in order to bring about an agreement or reconciliation. See, Jesus is mediating between us. He's, he's getting involved to bring about reconciliation. Isn't that what the gospel is about, reconciliation? We rejected God. We willfully went our own way. And Jesus is reconciling us. If we'll, if we'll embrace that reconciliation. He's mediating this covenant. God has always known we would need mediators who could relate. This is why the high priest in the Old Testament times was raised up from among the people. And this is why... In the New Testament times, the high priest was raised up from amongst the people. The Messiah was a Jew raised up from amongst the Jewish people. He was a man like you and I. With all that entails, and I don't mean man as in gender, male. Yes, he was a gender male. I mean man in the sense of human. With all our frailties, with all our weaknesses, with all of those things. Jesus said this, and I don't understand how it all works, but he never claimed that he was doing what he was doing by his divinity. He said, if I cast out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come amongst you. He did it in his Spirit-anointed humanity. Humanity. Am I Medea? 
That's like a Medea word. For those of you who know Medea, you know. Okay, let me try again. In his spirit anointed humanity. Some of you are going to go home and go, who is Medea? Tyler Perry movies. <laughs> um, but anyhow, he did it in his spirit anointed humanity. He relates. And God knew that this was going to happen. Guys, this human connection with God should build in us a confidence to approach God, knowing that He is ready and willing to help. This should build in us a confidence that God is ready and willing to help because He understands. He's always understood. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says he, he raised up high priests from among the people to show that he understood. To show that he gets your pain. That he gets your doubt. That he gets your struggles. That he gets your fears. That he gets all of those things and he wants to relate. Listen to me. God is God. There is no cosmic rule that made God make Jesus come. God could have chosen to redeem humanity in any way that he saw fit, but being perfect? Now, now, understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there are more than one path to God. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's not a, we're not preaching heresy here. I'm saying he's God. He is the one who created all of this. He could have chosen to do it any way that he wanted. He could have chosen to left us estranged. Right? But he chose to send Jesus. He chose. He knew that we would need someone who could relate to us, who could stand on it from our side. See, your God that you, that you say you follow, he's not distant and aloof. I know sometimes we feel like he is. Like he is just ready and waiting to smack me for the most small transgression. He's just, you know... Eric, he's ready to throw a thunderbolt at you. No, he's not. He's not. If God wanted to smite you, he would just wipe you off the face of the planet. He's God. And if he's not capable of doing that, he's not God. He's a figment of your imagination. This is the God who is holding everything together by an act of his will. Just because he wants to. He could wipe you off the face of the planet. He could wipe me off the face of the planet. He's not distant and aloof. And I know sometimes he feels like he is. Or sometimes we, sometimes we feel like that's what's happening. And I think it's because we've let this become a trap to us. It's become a curse to us. Well, Jesus, he lived this perfect, sinless life. He was a human, but he did it, and he, and he lived the perfect sinless life. And, and, and so if he was able to do it, I should be able to do it. And so he's waiting to beat me down. No. Because the Scriptures tell us that if we could do it on our own, Christ died for nothing. God knows that Jim needs help. God knows that Bobby needs help. God knows that Beverly needs help. God knows that Polly needs help. He gets your pain. He gets your struggle. He gets all of that. 
He was a man. He wanted to show you that he got it all. So you would know when you come to him and you say, you say, I've got this pain, I've got this ache, I've got this hurt, that you can know that he understands it, that he gets it, and that he wants to bring healing and life where only hurt and death were. God is not peed off at you. He's not ready to smack you in the head for the slightest transgression. He'll discipline you. I'm not saying that God's not a discipliner. He is. Scripture tells us he disciplines those he loves. But God's not, he's not, he carried out his wrath on Jesus. We sing that song. When on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Right? In Christ alone, the wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus can relate. I know some of you are saying, okay, pastor, you're saying Jesus can relate. And I mean, I see you saying that out of the scriptures, but I still don't get it. So why can Jesus relate? Guys, Jesus can relate because he suffered rejection, even rejection from those who were supposed to be his closest friends. John chapter 13, verse 21 through 30 says that Judas betrayed him. The one who was there at that intimate meal betrayed him, gave him over to death. Because he was trying to force Jesus' hands for Jesus to reveal himself as who he was. The scriptures tell us that. Judas regretted his decision. He went and tried to give the money back. That's what the Bible says. He regretted his decision. This is somebody who's close. It was the church treasurer. Judas had the money back, right? And that's not anything against Scott, who's our treasurer right now. I'm not saying Scott's Judasine. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this is somebody who's close. You say, well, that, but that's Judas. Okay, okay, you're right. Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Like, Peter, you're my guy. Like, the Catholics take this so serious, they believe that Peter was the first pope. Okay. You are Peter. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Oh, by the way, dude, you're going to deny me three times to little girls. Go read the story. It was little serving girls twice. Hey, uh, weren't you with Jesus? I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. To a little girl. Go read the story. I'm not kidding you. It's two little girls first. Two little girls. This is the guy that is really close to him who he said, you're Peter and on this rock I will build my church. This so marred Peter. He was so confused and so dismayed by this that Jesus had to come on the lake and barbecue some fish. Fish is a biblical meal. For those of you who don't like fish. You picking up what I'm dropping? Missy. I, I, I like making the sermons personal. No, I'm just kidding. 
He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He understood. He could have said, that's it, Peter, you're out, dude. I told you you were going to deny me three times. I tried to give you a warning, and doggone you, you did it anyways, and that's it, get out of here. No, that's not what he did. He's like, Peter, I told you this was going to happen. I love you, man. Listen to me. That sin that you think God won't forget, he's saying, I love you. I'm sorry, I'm standing where they can't, they can't, they can't hear when I'm standing there. I love you. Beverly's like, get out of my way. He can relate. You maybe think you rejected him. Or maybe you've suffered rejection. Maybe you've got this deep wound and you're like, Jesus can't heal this. He was rejected too. He was rejected. He suffered the loss of people he loved. And it moved him to weep. John chapter 11 verse 28 through 36 talks about this. Mary and Martha had a brother. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. They wanted to come and and get Jesus to bring healing. Jesus... By human understanding, is late. He wasn't late. He was right on time. God's never late. He's never late. It's a side sermon. Can I get a witness? God's never late. Come on, church. God's never late. He may see, We may be disappointed. We may think he's late, but he knows he's on time. Amen? He's never late. He shows up. The King James Version translates this one the best. He stinketh much. Don't open it, Lord. He stinketh much. He says he's not dead, man. Open it up. Lazarus, come out of there. But before this happened, what did Jesus do? He wept. It hurt. Some of you have lost some people you love. Some relationships have been marred, some different things. And you're like, I don't think Jesus gets this. Oh, he gets it. He gets it. He gets your pain. We watched that God's chisel last week and that, from the skit guys. And he said, but God, you don't understand this pain. He said, don't tell me about pain. I get pain. He gets your pain. He gets it. He understands loss. He understands loss of relationships, of loved ones, of all these different things. You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? He doesn't get my dire circumstances. Jesus did without material things. When others around him had more than enough. He doesn't, Jesus, he he doesn't get that right now I I can barely pay my bills. He doesn't understand. He he can't relate to that because, I mean, he was the, the king of all heaven. Everything was at his disposal. Friends, let me just share something with you. He did without material things. He told them when they were coming after him. He said in Luke 9, 57 through 62, you want to come after me? He said, hey. Foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. You're like, okay, pastor, 
He's, it's hyperbole because Jesus is the master of overstatement. I would agree with you except for the fact that in Luke chapter 2 verse 22 through 24, it talks about the application of Leviticus chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. When Jesus was brought to the temple for purification, for his mother's purification, the sacrifice for somebody who had a normal means inside of Israel was a bird and a lamb. Unless she was Poe. Poe is poorer than poor. Then you could do two pigeons. If you didn't have two nickels to rub together, you could do two pigeons. The purification rite for Jesus was two pigeons. The poorest of the poor man's offering for purification. Two pigeons. Oh, he gets it. You say, but, okay, so... You know, Pastor, I'm not poor, but, you know, people have lied about me and they've gossiped about me and they've slandered me and there's no way Jesus gets that. Oh, he was lied about and constantly slandered, friends. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 62 talks about how when he was put on trial, people got up and told straight up lies about him. He was constantly lied about and slandered. He gets it. He gets it. Don't tell me he doesn't get it. He gets it. He said, blessed, He said, you know, you're blessed when you're persecuted and slandered. When people maliciously talk about you, you're blessed in the kingdom of heaven. He gets it. That's When Jesus says, bless your enemies, don't curse them, bless them. Don't return cursing for cursing, but bless them. He is speaking out of a place of understanding. He was cursed. The scriptures tell us he actually became a curse to redeem us from the curse. The curse wasn't the law. The curse was transgression of the law. The curse was our rebellion against God. The curse was an eternity in hell. He was lied about and constantly slandered. Guys, it went so far that he was even condemned to die a criminal's death even though he was innocent. Even though he was innocent. And the authorities who condemned him to die recognized he was innocent. But they did it anyway. I'm not not making this up. It's too good to make up. I can't make it up. In Luke chapter 23 verses 1 through 25... Pilate examines him, finds no fault in him, says he is not guilty of anything. I'll whoop him real good to appease you guys and turn him back over to you. And they said, no, give us the insurrectionist Baraba or Baraba or Barabbas, however you want to pronounce it. It's a biblical name. Let me tell you how to pronounce it real quick. Side sermon. With conviction. Just say it. Nobody else knows how to pronounce it either. 
right? You get to those names, just chunk them out there. And when somebody looks at you crazy, be like, of course that's how you say it. Just keep going. All right, back on task. They said, no, give us, give us Barabbas. Give us the insurrectionists. What do you want me to do with Jesus? This innocent guy. Crucify him. Humiliate him. Man, Pilate agreed to condemn and kill an innocent man. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't get it. He gets it. Jesus relates to you. That's what this passage is talking about. Some of us are so afraid. We come to church week in and week out because we're, we're afraid if we don't come to church week in and week out, God's going to pull his blessing off of us. Listen, it's not contingent on what you do. It's contingent on what he did. One person got that. It's not contingent on what you do. It's contingent on what he did. Casting Grounds writes a song about this. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to know my hurt? Who am I that the eyes that see no sin or that would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Not because of who I am, but because of what he's done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. Because of who you are, God. It is not about what you've done. This isn't an excuse to go on sinning so that grace may abound. That's not what this is, so don't take it that way. I believe in holiness. But a friend of mine, Ron, had said something, and not Ron the elder, but Ron the more handsome, Walborn, (laughs) said something. He said, can you imagine a marriage that is based upon trying to make sure that you never have an adulterous thought for your whole life? And making sure that you never think any of that stuff. And and it's all focused on making sure you don't betray, that you don't mess the relationship up, that you're perfect about it. Wouldn't be much of a marriage. It'd be pretty painful. Right? But when we have a relationship that's real, that's significant, that's meaningful, there's no adultery. It's a result of the relationship. It's a result of the relationship. It's not about, and that's, that's a picture of, of, our, of our walk with Jesus Christ. That's a picture of our relationship with Him. We have good works. We have holiness. We have all of these things that come out of us because of the relationship that we have with Him. But it's not about what you've done. It's about what He did. He who was free of sin was made sin that you might be called Say it with me if you know it. The righteousness of God. Say it again. There is no in Him on it. I mean, it is in Him, but I want to quote the Scripture. He who was free of sin was made sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. I'm on a trick question. You see if everybody's getting it. You guys failed the test when I first came. If you are a sinner, raise your hand. Put them down. You are not. 
You failed it again. No, you're not. It doesn't call you that in the New Testament. I can't believe I told you the answer and you still raised them. I'm sorry I knocked all this stuff off the podium. That shocked me. I thought I was unshockable. I told you the answer. He doesn't call you that. He calls you a saint. He who was free of sin was made sin so that you might be called the sinner of God. Is that what the scripture says? You just answered it. Hasn't moved to the heart yet. Let's do this again. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. Okay, good. You need to renew your mind. Some of you need to renew your mind in Christ Jesus. You need to do what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Renew your mind. You were a sinner. But he has given you a new name, a new identity. He does not look at you and say, there's Mark, that sinner screw up. He said he's given you a white stone with a new name on it that only him and you know. Can I get a witness? You got a new identity, baby. You're a child of the risen king. Rise up and walk like it. I'm getting a little excited. Man, I'm so tired of people walking in defeat. Lift your head up. Man, if if we were in Britain and I was the prince, dude, I'd walk in everywhere like this. What do you mean? I'm the prince. I'm in charge, baby. I'm part of the kingdom. Galatians says that through very great and precious promises that you are fellow partakers of the divine nature. Going over time. I'm sorry. You got to get this, guys. You got to get this. <clears throat> you got to get it. Jesus can relate. Jesus can relate. It's like the song Endless Love. We relate to it because we understand it. Understand. Understand something. Billboard magazine is wrong. Endless love is not the greatest love song of all time. The gospel is. Endless love is not the greatest love song of all time. By Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. Endless love that God wrote. That's the greatest love song of all time. He relates. Some of you are struggling with this concept still, I know. I don't expect to fix it all in one week. So we got homework Monday, John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. I mentioned that passage of Scripture. Jesus suffered betrayal. Tuesday, Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Jesus suffered betrayal. Peter denies him. You got Judas and Peter. Wednesday, Luke 9, 57 through 62. Jesus explains that he does without, but that God is enough. 
for those of you who are maybe doing without some things. Thursday, two passages. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24, and Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. It's really important that you read the Leviticus thing because you need to understand this two-pigeon thing is in there for a specific reason. God does not waste words. He did not, he could have just said the purification offering. But he pointed out that it was two pigeons for a reason. And Leviticus tells us why. Friday, Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 62. People lie about him and slander him. Saturday, Luke 23, 1 through 25. Like the ultimate one, Pilate finds him innocent, but kills him anyway. He was killed for righteousness' sake. Let's pray. Father, I don't know that we get this yet. Lord, it may take years to redo this in some of our minds because we have been taught that you are in heaven mad. That you are in heaven just waiting to beat us. That you are in heaven just waiting for us to mess up so that you can smite us for the littlest transgression. But God, I've read your word and your word says something completely different. It says that you love us. It says that it says in John 3:17 that you didn't come to condemn, but you came that we might be saved. God, I pray that you would remove this stinking thinking from our minds that we are these big old losers, we're these big old sinners. And Lord, you would, we would replace it with your truth that we are righteous and holy and that we would walk in victory. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.